Here we go. Friday, March 12, podcast 52. <clears throat> a lot of information on the NIL Austin case, as a lot of parents may want to know about that because it's going to affect them, coaches and players, because it's going to affect the future of sports. And it's nuanced, and just from reading everything, it, I think it's um, half the people aren't getting to the real point. And some of it is hitting home. Now let's get into a lot of the uh, information. There's mostly NIL, but I guess the biggest thing that came out last week, uh, just came out after I did Podcast 51, overtime starting an elite high school team. Uh, we knew about that, but, you know, and they didn't want it out there, but they finally put it out there. In more detail, our 16- to 18-year-olds high school hoop players to go pro. I guess you would call them semi-pro. The program will include 30 ranked players guaranteed 100K a year and bonuses and equity and overtime and cuts of license sales. Um, they're talking about it and they think it's going to be a big deal. Uh, the league, uh, the New York Times Draper continues will be resemble soccer academies in Europe where players and possibly their families will move to one city to live and train together. Uh, we're generally, we are genuinely investing in, in hiring really serious and legitimate people to run every aspect of the company. Uh, well, we think our system will be amazing for their basketball development. Will every single player make the NBA? Maybe not uh, every single one, but the large majority will become professionals. That means going overseas like a bunch of players have done already. People don't want to admit it, but the high school basketball development program is broke and it's over. And you can uh, start that off with the elite teams that the shoe companies have put together over the last few years. And if you look at the signings versus the money that people were putting into the teams, uh, it's an outlier. And the perfect example is go look at Allen Iverson. Um, he's basically the poster child for investment uh, and then return ROI on that investment. And what happened? His pro career is over. So if you go back and research it, you'll understand what I'm saying. Um, and this is what's going to happen today because parents are deeply involved in their children's uh, basketball and financial futures because um, look how many pro players go broke, et cetera. And the families are now coherent in there and they're saying, hey, we're, we're on top of it because we came from that arena or they have guidance. I think it's interesting. Um, is it going to work? Oh, yeah. Do I see them doing it first before the NBA or Nike or USAB? Because they're the only other three people that can pull it off. Unless somebody like Puma or Adidas want to jump right out of the box. But if you take all those main people, it's going to be a combination of them or some sort of agreement. But nobody big wants to act because the high school federations and the general public will come after them. So by overtime doing it, everybody else is just uh, entering into an agreement to do a piece of it. We'll leave it at that. Just follow that because that's going to be intriguing. If you're not one of those 30 players, and they say they're going to pay for college if you don't uh, make it out of the league, I think that's intriguing. And you know what? You can go to get a better education in London for cheaper. So that's if you want to get an education. And that's what it comes back to. You know, what is this about? If you look, talk to some of the old-time coaches and power uh, the leadership of the sport, especially the black leadership of the sport 20 years ago, 
they would all tell you that the education piece is the is the piece everybody seems to be dropping the ball on. I'll leave it at that, and we'll move on to the Austin stuff because there's a lot of pieces here, and you have to pay attention because it's coming down to the NCA is saying one thing, and the Austin people are saying something different. And basically right now the big issue for the NCA is antitrust, and that's something I was acutely aware of back in the uh, 90s when it came time to figure out how to beat the NCAA at their own game of putting rules in, and then you have to sue them on every rule, and then they change the rule if they can't win. Then they wait for a few years and change it back. So uh, the Austin people and everybody else is really going at it. In fact, I'll read in here, uh, a, f a bunch of NCAA ex former executives have weighed in on the, on the side of Austin to say, yeah, the NCAA is doing that. And listen, if you read to some of the stuff, there's two pieces about uh, making their private conversations private that you because they're public institutions. Oh, no, but our conversations are private, so they don't get uh, found out about. That's a big one. The other thing is that they're saying they don't want an exemption, and in reality, that's what they're asking for by trying to get the federal Congress to come up with uh, a way to prevent them from being sued. And if you think really about it, then that comes back to the lead one article, and I'll talk about that. Um, and you want to follow this because it's it's almost going to be like a murder mystery. And you have to figure out not the who done it, but how do you base your arguments? So um, I know it's kind of boring for a lot of people, but you want to pay it. You want to if you if you want to get involved in that stuff, this is it's um, technical. OK, let's I got about seven different pieces here for the Austin case. Plaintiffs in the Austin case have filed their written arguments with the U.S. Supreme Court, asserting that their opening sentence that the NCAA and the conferences are seeking nothing less than outright exemption from antitrust law. And the NCAA's use of the 1984 Board of Regents case as defense arguing that the top-tier basketball and football today are far cry from the versions that existed in the 1980s, citing the billions of dollars in revenue. Of course, that's the problem. And guess what? They call them scouting services in the NCAA code book, and they're not scouting services because you don't scout. They're evaluation services, and that is a problem. But the NCAA hasn't changed that, that, that designation. And there's just a piece of, like I said, and they're, they're talking about some of that later on. That's uh, number one. Um, let me get to number two here because this is going to set a lot of people against each other. Number two, uh, the NCAA responded with, Chief Legal Officer Remy responded to the plaintiffs filing the Austin case, uh, res um, responding brief challenges and argument that the NCA is not making, at, nor has ever made, namely that the NCA seeks antitrust immunity. Indeed, the NCA has always known that its rules are subject to antitrust review. No, no, they never had that challenge until I brought it up to them, until I did that, Blue Star versus NCA. They never had an antitrust case. But what they had right after that was the G, was the grad assistant case, which cost them $56 million, and they appealed it for like two to three years until they finally gave in. And to be found in Sherman Trust, you need two, part one or part two, to be valid. And I was lucky to get two. They got one. And that's a whole other story about what happened to me. So... Um, uh, but indeed, the NCAA has always known that its rules are subject to antitrust review. That's why they create all these minor court cases 
to shut off all the argumentative points that could lead to antitrust. So every time that uh, somebody is like, oh, I'm suing the NCAA, they don't get an economist, they're losing their case. So then the next time you try to sue, oh, a ruling has been made on that behalf, and you can't sue there because the courts have already said something. That's why the NSA has been very tricky, and I hope somebody at the, one of these uh, offices, you know, maybe I'll have to write somebody um, and does that. Uh, but as the Supreme Court president and other courts made clear, antitrust law allows the NSA to shape rules. Antitrust allows the NSA to shape rules to maintain a clear distinction between professional and collegiate sports. That's a lie. The rules, here you go, go try to find the camp and summer camp uh, rules 13.18 in the code. I couldn't find it. They took it out of the code book, but it's still referenced in the EG, uh, EGCA, you know, group. And let me tell you, uh, where is it? A perfect example. But they don't bring that up because nobody's really looking at the code that hard. Um Let's go to the next one, number three and six. Okay, the NSA argues, urged the NSA Indiana High Court Thursday to seek a uh, suit seeking $25 million excess coverage for an antitrust case over limits on student-athlete compensation. So in lower court, wrongly concluded that coverage is barred because the player's complaint shares allegations with another suit preceding the policy period. This is something nobody would ever think or see about or understand, but the NCAA is trying to get another $25 million liability on top of it for their antitrust case against the Austins. So, and, there, and one of the people said, oh, no, no, you can't now try to go get more money to help you in defense of it. So they're trying to insure the case. Well, they didn't get their total insurance down for last year's Final Four. So I guess, what does that tell you? Um, and that goes to, to how technically and how, um, I don't want to say the word, sneaky, but, you know, that's what it is. Um, let's get to number four. Okay. 65 law, business, economics, and sports management professors have filed an amicus brief on behalf of the plaintiffs. Basically, they support the Austin's case. Economics, remember economics? I said you have to have an economist when you do these. Economist Schwartz, I really love the clarity of the amicus brief expressing, explaining how the NSA's view of the world contrasts with an antitrust framework. Markets, not committees of competitors, decide which products succeed. Well, there you go. They have committees deciding that. And they also have committees deciding how to shape the rules so you can't fight it. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that's like really deep. If you want to know, go to sportico.com. You'll see all the bigger details. Um, and in fact, it's uh, the acting attorney, acting attorney, acting solicitor general on behalf of the United States wants to weigh in on the case. What does that mean? That the U.S. Justice Department has a statement, and according to this opinion, they says that does not um, uh, does not look good for the NSA. The tide is turning in favor of empowering college athletes. Uh, the United States has a substantial interest in the question presented. The Department of Justice and the Federal Trade Commission enforce the federal antitrust laws and have a strong interest in the correct application. <clears throat> wow. Wow. 
Wow. Um, okay, so this is more support for Alston comes from an unlikely source of former NCAA EVP. Lewis headlines a group of six former NCAA officials will file an amicus brief in support of Alston. Uh, the other five have held various enforcement roles with the NCAA in brief. Lewis et al. argued the NCAA's compensa compensation does not preserve consumer demand. There you go. So if you have former people talking about it, they knew that a lot of this stuff was, I hate to say the word corrupt or incorrect, but people are protecting their money. Said it from the beginning. The NCAA will never punish its money, and they've always protected their money. Watch how long this uh, FBI uh, men's basketball stuff is still dragging out. What's it, 17 when they started the investigation? We're in the 21, four years. What does that tell you? They're hoping people forget about it. So that's, uh, let's get to the next one. This is where they're going to start pitting athletes and sports against each other. Louisville softball uh, student-athlete Funky pens an op-ed for Sports Illustrated. She urged Congress to consider Olympic sports student-athletes when deciding NIL legislation. She goes on to contend that it's important to Congress to codify a national NIL standard before piecemeal state laws take effect. Basically, she's trying to say the scholarships uh, we receive on behalf of our athletic abilities are life-changing. We need NIL legislation that will preserve the revenue-sharing model that, the, that uses the full popularity of football and basketball to fund broad athletic programs on campuses of all sizes. Basically, uh, and I hate to be rude about this, and it was in a Washington Post, and you can read it. It's a pretty intense story about how college coaches, facilities, and the entire megastructure of Power Five has been built on the back of black athletes who shine and starred for all these teams. Now, is that a fair blanket statement? Uh, no, because there's a lot of different other races who played and participated. But at the end of the day, in a predominant world of those two sports, well, guess what? You know, a lot of those parents and uncles and aunts, they all seen this stuff. So they're now saying, hey, we want our kids, our nephews to get their due. So um, why should we, I mean, realistically, um, if you're a millionaire or a billionaire, you can spend your money as you want. But if you're talking about social justice, well, that means socialism, which means give me all your money and spread it, and we're going to spread it out like peanut butter on a, on a loaf of bread, not just a slice of bread. And then you got people saying, well, wait a minute, I made my money. Why should I spare it with anybody else? And I listened to something about uh, how groups def how groups look at each other and you know what do you do and i'll mention it again i asked one of my former african players well if you're in africa and well is there racism and they said to me no it's classism so if you really die do a deep dive it's about haves and have nots as i said here many times and if you're a have you're inclusive because there is a thing about the sociology of how one group views the, um, uh, I guess, the status of another group. And some you could call the R word there, but guess what? They had a very interesting take because they said each uh, society or each culture 
goes down a list of items that makes them either inclusive or exclusive. Uh, well, basically, you're either in or you're out. You're either one of us and we recognize you or you're not. So uh, that's a sociology thing. Uh, you can go to Chronicle Education for some of that stuff. But guess what? At the end of the day, now you've got the have-nots of Olympic minor sports going to the have saying, we want your money and we want the money that you could possibly make for the institution to still be divided to us for our scholarships while you don't get paid. So that's part one. Um, and it's a non-rev versus football and men's basketball. And then you've got um, the next, uh, that was 5-1. Oh, here we go. Um, the F Sports Illustrator's Dellinger notes that while various NIL bills that are being considered have, really, have already passed in different states are not without their differences. A common theme has emerged from lawmakers on both sides of the aisle. We are, we are tangentially working with one another because we are fed up with the NCAA's archaic and unjust rules. That's good. We are going to act in the absence of federal leadership. It's enough of us to act. I think Congress will do something. And I want you to remember this group, LEAD1, L-E-A-D-1, L-E-A-D-1. These are the all the athletic power athletic directors. And they said... Um, you know, they can't let it get chaotic, the ADs. Um, for the athletic departments, the lack of direction has left them in a catch-22 as they try to navigate potential disparity in NCAA rules and state laws. I've complained about the NCAA code for a decade, but nobody wanted to have the conversation because everybody's protecting either their jobs or the money that's coming in to, to take care of those jobs. And I guess you could say it's day of reckoning. Um, and this is where we go to number six, which is lead one again. They had a big survey, 100 FBS, basically top football ADs, from the future of college sports. And this is the one you want to pay attention to. This is big. They went through it and they said, well, we want to figure out if there's two, there's two models. And we're going to give you A, we're going to give you B. And A was professional commercial model. Student-athletes being treated as employees with full NIL rights as well as rights to collectively bargain, workers' compensation, and other employment rights. Under this model, there would also be strong Title IX compliance. No, they slipped that in there to get more acceptance because if you really believe it, the only Title IX will be when football and basketball pull away. Women's basketball, volleyball, or soccer will go with them to keep the numbers there. They'll take that equal number with them and not spread it to the other male and female sports because that's why all these ADs, if you go look online, all these athletic directors are quitting their jobs, retiring. I don't need it anymore because this day of reckoning is coming for them and they don't want the headache or the pushback because a lot of student athletes have sued different institutions to put back sports. Uh, Brown, Dartmouth, William & Mary, uh, there's a whole big thing going on in Stanford. It's going to be a ton of people and everybody stopped dropping sports because they're waiting for this to drop before they can say, can I or can I? And if NIO goes away, you're going to see a lot of these sports turn to clubs without scholarships or I guess a, a Division two, three or Division two or three look to it. Or as maybe they'll say, hey, guess what? If a millionaire wants to come along and fund the entire sport, then does that mean it's unequal with the other members? Yeah, 
And guess what? If I'm the institution, I'm taking the money and having a great team. That's not getting scholarships or money from the university, but a donor. And what's the first rule with a third or fourth paragraph within the, within the NSA code book? It says to create equality amongst its members. Equality, that means competition. Oh, but only if you have the money to have the competition be equal. This is what the this is what the whole Austin case is about, and some of this stuff. Um, and they talk about um, the higher education, professional commercial model, or the higher education model, which which means um, this model would include a greater investment in Olympic and non-revenue sports, like I said, expanding health and safety and scholarship protections. They already got all that. Full NIL rights, they're fighting for that, as well as strong Title IX compliance. Again, that's a joke because they got to take it out because you'll never equal the football and basketball spend and numbers. So if you're going to fight over numbers, is it going to be about the money spent? It's never going to happen. They, it's, they keep forgetting this. Um, but here's the big one. But no collective bargain or other employment rights. Nearly 96% voted for the higher education model. Clearly, our athletic directors would rather see collegiate sports deprofessionalized rather than fully professionalized. Thank you. I said this back in 2012. The top sports go there to a professional tier point, somewhere between overtime and college sports. And uh, all the former Ivy League in, this, in, this, in the 60s, uh, or I guess it would be like the uh, Patriot League, no scholarships, or I guess they have a weird, weird way to do it. But you basically get money for being a student, or you get club play in a club sport. Now you don't have all that travel money and spending facilities because you're going two hours on a bus to play and come back, like the old days in the in the seventies for women's basketball. And if you're old enough to remember some of this, I do. Where the furthest game you went was a three-hour overnighter, and you got one night. And that was like once in a season, unless you went to the playoffs. All right, um, that was big, and that's one you really need to think about. And if you want to look it up, lead one, and it's the professional commercial model versus the higher education model. That will probably be out here in the discussion more and more. As the NIL case starts to get decided, they're going to have to come to one of these day of reckonings. All right, and then a couple other things, and we'll finish this up. Um, and the West Coast uh, Conference Commissioner Neverez weighs on the future of NIL legislation, call make, calling on lawmakers to take care to make sure that new policies do not undermine the gains female athletes have made in Title IX. No, you're trying to all protect your jobs and protect every female athlete in the back of, of football. And guess what? You need to break that stuff off, and everybody needs to pay for themselves. Is that fair? No. But that's the reality economics because what happens if the NFL and the NBA comes in and says, we're going to create a super college league under our banner and you can go to, we'll pay for your scholarships to go to college, but the colleges have nothing to do and we'll own all the TV, say goodbye to all those buildings and facilities because guess what? That's going to be the day of reckoning when they try to figure this stuff out. So she talked about that. Um, you know, uh, currently the NSA and member and member conferences are being sued 
for even contemplating rule changes to allow NIL payments. These, these seats, suits seek to upend the student-athlete model as, as def, definitional for college athletics and is successful. They would cause universities and some conferences uh, to be in financial trouble. So that's why that's a big deal. Um, let's get to the last pieces here. And I want to make sure I cover all these so I can get to the end of this. Uh, got it. Uh, got that one. Got that one. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, she also talked about the uh, one-time transfers. Navarez, Navarez explains that the goal is to find a way to do it without impacting graduation rates and mitigating the effect on roster management. Basically, the portal, which we're going to have to do a special one on these, either 53 or 54, on just the portal and reclassification, what it means for the status of basketball and the future. <clears throat> or the big elephant in the room is poaching and the illegal recruiting, and you don't want to legislate morality, and you don't want to, to want to policy down to the lowest common denominator. Yeah, well, again... Um, Remember how you had to sit out and they punished you? They wouldn't allow you to leave. You had to pay for it. Um, that got me in. That got me into a fight about hurting a former athlete who went to uh, a legendary school, and she got punished because she wanted to transfer. And they said no. You had to go walk on a next institution, sit and pay your own way if you wanted to play. And who had those monies back in the eighties? And yeah, I can name those names. Um, and it's the one-time transfer versus basically having an open transfer. Uh, the NSA is moving forward with the one-time transfer legislation. Reports that the D1 Council will vote on a waiver after the Final Four in April. This is when a lot of stuff's going to happen after the Final Four. Um, and and the waiver for the upcoming year only. At least I have an athlete to transfer be eligible right away without having to worry. Um I think, you know, that could be not just a one-year, but that could be the future because people are going to say, I'm not signing in a national letter or intent or any of that anymore because what's that got there? So I got my rights in there, et cetera. Okay, so, um, you know, and let's get into the um, the NCA. another issue. Uh, following last week's, uh, last week's report concerning Big Ten leaders seeking to communicate confidentially without being subject to public record laws. The Chronicle Higher Education wrote a story about it, um, about the optics becoming increasingly intractable for college administrators to negotiate, especially when it comes to discussing sports. Basically, they want to hide what they're saying. Uh, the AD argues desire to talk behind closed doors is reflective of a larger cultural problem in higher education. Basically, he's saying, Remember when the Big Ten, Big is a Big Ten, Big Twelve wanted to talk about playing, and they said we want to know what you're saying. The players didn't. The AD said no. Well, those conversations are open for public records, but they're trying to create their own silent, you know, room where they can't talk about, where they have no legitimate reason. But if you're a state employee, how could you, how could you create that? Uh, that's part of this all NIL Austin fight, and I think that tells you a lot about what's going on. Um, you know, 
And one more, you got, um, what's the value of some of this stuff? Well, it's, I found this interesting. Uh, what NIL's pending impact, former men's soccer athlete Beck explains the meteoric rise in TikTok popularity. After I, after I worked out and trained, I made, made videos. I trained three or four times a day. It's not hard at all. People like that said he put it out. Beck, who has now 25 million followers and 1. billion likes. Um, and what does that tell you? And there's a couple of twins, I think it's San uh, Fresno State. And they're, they're like killing it too. They've got all these looks like, and TikTok's a big deal along with Instagram. So this is why you have Austin Case and Overtime and all these things. And I want you to remember this phrase because I'm not going to talk about it at length, but non-fungible tokens. You're going to hear about digital collectibles, NFT, uh, uh, yes, NFTs, non-fungible tokens, tokens, digital collector collections and ownership. Remember that. That is a hidden future that's coming after this gets resolved. Remember that. NFTs. All right. So, uh, last pieces here. Publishers. Uh, uh, yeah. Let's go to the Census Bureau. Survey showed that just 2.2 of small business U.S. currently require employees to have proof of COVID-19 vaccinations before physically coming to work, and only 10% require staff to test negative for a virus before ch ch uh, clocking in. Well, they're going to do this for the NSA tournament at a cost of like hundreds of thousands of dollars because they got millions of dollars sitting on the table. So they're going to get that done. But what's interesting is that what's going to happen with student-athletes when they go back to school in the fall. I'm not talking just athletes, but student-athletes, students, everybody, when they start to head up back to school in mid-July, July or August, or maybe they push that back just to make sure there's more COVID vaccinations out there. But if I'm an institution, I'm like, you don't have a vaccination, you don't have an antibody test, you're not getting on campus. So watch for that big fight coming by the time we get to probably May or June. All right, um, and there's this is the last item. A lot of people are going to be like, well, what's the big deal? This is about Google. Google drew a line to sand this week, explicitly saying it would steer away from personalized advertised technology. Publishers with direct relationships to consumers will be the ones, will be the one of the beneficiaries in the future of internet advertising. Basically, Apple and Google are getting rid of all their cookies and following you. So when you log on to a site, they're going to say, "Can you follow?" So you're going to have to go in, and they say, well, "Your cookies are required for this." You're going to have to have a as soon as you shut down your your browser, it deletes them all, and that's going to be a big deal. And if that happens, uh, Ad Age had a big story. Publishers risk losing $10 billion thanks to cookie cuts and brands are not ready for the data changes. IAB says about Google and Apple's decision. And that's everything out there. Um, states are starting to open up. Um, I talked to Boo Williams. He's expecting to have his big event, and I expect that to be a sellout. Uh, the third, the traditional third week in April, uh, coaches will not be out. They can watch online. They can watch everything in April and May. And if anybody's saying that, oh, this is bigger, that's bigger, it's going to be who's going to watch what, which now comes into the discussion right now of what's going to happen with June, July. More, I would say, about July. 
and how certain people are going to try to shoehorn something in August because it's about the power of select power brokers to demand from the colleges and their administrators because they're their sponsors. Ooh, we want an extra time period for just our own exclusivity of our event. That's coming. And that's what a lot of this stuff is about. It's power and influence. And um, the discussion about what 2022 is going to look like. I can tell you that it was a hard year. We're, we're basically, this is a year of COVID right now. And I'll be the first one to tell you that it hasn't been pretty. A lot of people have struggled. I want to be the first to tell you. Even I didn't think about it. But I've had my, I guess you would say, off-camera struggles. Uh, dealing with just never traveling. Being here every day. And you go out the door, it's a death sentence. Unless you have a mask or you're careful. Well, you know. God bless that, uh, the, you know, you've made it through a year. Now, what's year two going to look like? And everybody says, oh, we're going to have an open summer and all this. P, the P1 variation coming out of Brazil. And I just saw CBS last night talk about uh, COVID will be in our lives, the rest of our lives, because it's going to be like a super flu that, that morphs every year that you're going to have to get your flu vaccination in one shoulder and your COVID in the other. And nobody has still talked about how we're going to deal with young kids getting it. I mean, how many parents are going to let their kids uh, catch it and say, oh, don't worry, you're young, and then come out when they're 35 with blood clots or heart issues, which is what some of them are saying now with certain cases. Um, I think everybody's going to have to wear a mask uh, right now through September, probably into some of the football in the fall. You'll be allowed in, but you're still going to wear a mask. And participation will get back to the same, maybe the same. People want to try to figure out the system of basketball. But I'll leave that for the uh, discussion on the transfer portal, reclassification, and where you stand with basketball. I will specifically make that uh, number 53 in the coming days. Maybe over the weekend I'll get that done. And that could end up being a long one that you're going to want to pay attention to. Um, and I have to do an outline for that because, to be truthful, I take notes like this stuff. And it's like 10 pages. And I'm just, I have to read all these things to pull out what's worth it for you to know. And I'm sharing the information because information's power. And some people out there do not want you to have information. And remember this, they don't want you to ask critical questions. Uh, in fact, there's a book here called uh, Critical Conversations. If you ever want to read something interesting, Critical Conversations. They've revamped it a couple of times. Um, and if you don't have your kids reading, or if you're not reading, shame on you. If you're not taking a, da a daily diary and you didn't do that, as I suggested last year, and you still haven't kept it, shame on you again. You're going to remember these days um, five to ten years from now, especially all you younger players. And parents with your kids, this is like the most together uh, people have been in years and probably in our society in a long time. But that's a whole other take on the sociology of just COVID and what it means because um, family, family is at the heart and core of all the issues that come up 
from BLM to injustice to social justice, have and have nots, um, how we love one another, how we respect one another. All comes down to family. So, um, you know, that's not preaching. That's just, you know, after a while, you see enough pennies on the floor, you start to count them. Um, have a good weekend. I hope I get 53 up. It's been a little bit longer than normal. But I appreciate everybody who uh, watches or listens to this. And remember, you can subscribe if you want. I don't care. Uh, and if you want the bell, that'll tell you when I put these up. Or you can go on Spotify and go on Apple. These are up there uh, faster than I put up the video because of YouTube. So, uh, we'll get these updated. And I got finally pulled everything off of um, Periscope. I had 97 videos on Periscope or 92, and I got them all off before it shuts down in two weeks. So, uh, I think they're still going to remain up there, but I don't know how they're going to deal with it. But I got everything off. And I think everything's loaded up to 42, 43. So I have all them. I have to get in line. Thank you, everybody. Again, have a good weekend. Appreciate um, coming here to get information. And I appreciate the people who does all this work and puts all this effort in for me to read it so I'm informed just like you are. All right. Thank you.